0: Wow. How about that snow, right? It's so crazy. Yesterday I was in sandals and shorts and today, uh, well, some of you may be wearing sandals and shorts, you can't see. But um, man, so thankful that you braved the cold to come out and to be a part of what we're doing here at The Living Stone. Uh, God is going to do a great thing here in this season as we continue the process, hopefully, of coming out of COVID. Um, but before we get started this morning, I really want to uh, do something special. We, we do believe that prayer is the work. That's one of our core values, one of our three core values. Prayer is so powerful. Prayer is the work. And today we have a member of our church that's sick with COVID. She got it from uh, a place that she volunteers at, uh, not our church, but another uh, nonprofit that she volunteers at. And so many of you know Rachel Sellers. Um, she contracted COVID. She's uh, she's the lady with the oxygen mask and because of or oxygen tank that she carries around uh, because of her breathing uh, problems. I um, can't remember what she has, uh, but her lungs are not strong, and because of her age, uh, the doctors are really worried about her. And so I talked to her before they intubated her uh, or uh, put the uh, the breathing machine on her uh, this weekend, and I told her that we would be praying for her this this morning in both services, and so. Um, we believe that prayer is the work. Prayer changes things. We've seen God move powerfully when we seek Him in prayer, especially as a corporate body. Uh, and so, you know, nothing is for sure in this life, but, but we can know that God hears us. And so this morning, if you wouldn't mind joining me as we pray for her, um, Rachel Sellers, uh, by lifting your hand and as, as as a sign of support, if you'll just lift your hand, towards us here, towards me, towards us, towards me, Uh, we're going to pray for her right now. And so let's go ahead and do that. Father, God, right now, Rachel needs your healing presence. And God, I pray the same things that I prayed with her over the phone the other day, that God, you would heal her body. God, that she would become, uh, that she would come out of this well, God, that she would be able to experience more days ahead. And God, that you would use her story through this trial. And God, I pray right now that you would heal her lungs, that you would heal her body, that you would keep her alive. God, I pray for the doctors, that you'd give them wisdom and knowing how to proceed with her. And uh, and God, we, we do lift her up to you right now. And God, in the name of Jesus, would you heal her right now from COVID? Would you extend her life for many more years, God, we pray that, and God, we believe that in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, thank you so much for joining me in that prayer. Um, you know, it's, it's a crazy time we live in, and you know, because of COVID, we've had to make several changes, even here at church. We've had to reverse the room. Normally, we're on that stage, and we have this incredible light display, uh, but we're here, and that's all that matters to us, is that we're able to gather in a place like this, even if we have to do multiple services like we are, God is still here, and God still wants to use you. He still wants to speak through you, and none of this, listen to this, none of this is a surprise to him. Uh, None of the things that have happened over the past few months is a surprise to God. In fact, I mean, if you think about everything, the riots, the unrest, the COVID, the economy, jobs, marriages falling apart, suicide, depression, all of those things, alcoholism, dependency on drugs, and, and other things, all of this is a result of this trial that we're going through as a world. Everything, everything that we're experiencing, and none of it is a surprise to God. And that ought to give us comfort. That ought to give us hope. In fact, the Bible says that this world is decaying. This world is going through a process of decay. If you don't believe this world is decaying, set your car out in the sun for a couple of years. It will decay. The paint will start wearing off. The the plastic will start fading. Your homes need painting every, what, 10 years or so? Everything in this world is in a process of decaying. Many of us who are aging in our 40s or maybe older, you're feeling that. We're heading towards a process of decay. But this world is not our home, and this world will continue to see death. This world will continue to see decay until Jesus comes and makes all things new. In fact, the Bible says that in the end times, things are actually going to get worse. And if God had not stopped the trials and the tribulations coming, no one would survive. So that ought to make things a little brighter in 2020 for you. Knowing that it is actually going to get worse. I hate to break it to you. It may get worse. But none of that is a surprise to God. And all of this is leading to the point where Jesus comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. When he comes to make all things new. Part of the process that we wanna go through in this series, Overcomer, is to give you hope, knowing that God created you in this time, in all of history, he could have chosen to to create you, but he chose this time for a reason, to experience COVID and to come out of this season stronger than you ever have been. The Bible says that there's gonna be a great falling away in the end days, in the end of days, the end times. And it's easy to see where people could give up hope By not being able to go to church. Or maybe they were lukewarm Christians. Or maybe they were uh, not as on fire as we would like them to be. Anyway. With everything that's going on. Including the two largest fires in Colorado's history. It's real easy to just get down and depressed and frustrated. And just lose hope and lose sight of what God may be doing. This is not a life that we should or this is not the mindset that we should have. I want to take you to probably one of the greatest scriptures that paints this picture of overcomer today. It's found in the book of Revelation. We're going to be there today. But before we step into this passage, I just want to give you a little background. Now, Jesus, before he, before he uh, is arrested and uh, is held before the religious leaders of mock trial and before he's crucified... Uh, and dies on the cross. Before he does that, he spends time with his disciples. He washes their feet. He celebrates the Passover meal. It's an incredibly intimate setting. In fact, they sing a hymn together, and then they go out to the, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to be arrested. Now, before they leave, Jesus says to his disciples, his disciples that would actually go on to die for their faith, at least 10 of the 12 would die for their faith. Judas would hang himself. John, which we're going to read of today, was kept alive probably to write the book of Revelation. We're going to read that in just a moment. So 10 of the 12 were actually martyred or murdered for their faith. And Jesus tells them this, knowing that they will face death someday for their belief in Jesus, for following Jesus. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, the world will hate you. People will hate you. People will say all kinds of evil of you because of me. In this world, your faith will be tested. In this world, people will want to kill you. But he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. I've read that my entire life and it never really hit me until just a few weeks ago as I was studying that passage. Jesus waits to the very last possible moment in his life, his physical life on this planet to say, take heart because I have overcome the world. You Remember, Jesus was actually tested by Satan. He was tempted in the desert. He was tempted in the wilderness to to walk away from God. In fact, the scriptures say that he was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he was without sin. So it would be untrue for him to say that at the beginning of his ministry. He waits till the very last moment, and he goes, you know what, I have overcome the world. I've been tempted in every way possible. I've I've literally overcome every single temptation and sin there is. Take heart. I've overcome the world. With that in mind... With that in mind, we can face whatever comes our way. Promise you. I promise you that. We can face whatever comes our way as long as we keep our eyes on him. So I'm going to take you to this passage in Revelation chapter 1 today. Revelation was written by, it's a book that was written by John, one of the three closest disciples to Jesus. And John is on the island of Patmos. He's basically on Alcatraz. It was first century Alcatraz. He was in jail for his faith. Tradition, church tradition says that he was boiled alive for his faith. He was boiled, put in a vat of boiling oil, and he survived it. And so they didn't know what to do with him. So they sent him to this island. I don't know if that's true, but that's the church's tradition of his persecution. Now listen to this. We're going to pick up this morning in verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. Listen to John's words. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he's there. He's in jail because of his preaching of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Let's stop here for a second, because I want you to see this. The red words on the screen are Jesus' words, obviously. So, so Jesus, what he's saying here is he saying, I'm sorry, not Jesus, what John is experiencing here in this moment What John is experiencing is this vision. So somehow, I don't know if John is awake or he's asleep, but John experiences this incredible vision. He has a revelation uh, from Jesus. And Jesus says, write on a scroll what you see. So this is the beginning of the book. Now don't miss this. In verse 10 he says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. Jesus appears to John in a vision, and it takes him to the future, to the Lord's day. The Lord's day in this passage is not a Sunday. You know, that's the Lord's day, or maybe the Saturday, a Sabbath. This is not what he's talking about. He actually is taken somehow through the Holy Spirit in this vision to the Lord's day. Somehow God allows him to see into the future. Somehow he's there on the Lord's day. What is the Lord's day? The Lord's day, remember if we read scripture, the scriptures say the Lord's day, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This is that day when Jesus comes back for his church, that's the beginning of the end. That's the beginning of the end. When the dead in Christ are raised and they're they're transformed, literally in their tombs, they're with Jesus, they're in the tomb one moment, they're with Jesus the next moment. Those of us who are alive that day, 1 Thessalonians 4, says we'll be caught up together to meet Jesus in the clouds. That's his appearing. We, We looked a little bit about, we took a little look at that last week when Paul says, I long for his glorious appearing. This is that day. This is that day when Jesus is fully glorified. Right now, if we were able to peel back the layers of heaven and see into heaven, we would see God seated on his throne. We would see at his right hand, we would see Jesus interceding on our behalf as the high priest. Jesus, right now, in this moment, as I speak, Jesus is not fully glorified yet. There will be a time where he is fully glorified. Remember what John or what Jesus said to his disciples. John was there, actually. He says to his disciples, "He says, some of you won't taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom." Now, some people believe that John, since he was the only one to live, that he's still alive to this day. That's not true. What happens next in Matthew chapter seventeen, verse one, is that Jesus, after he says that in chapter sixteen, in verse seven, in chapter seventeen. Uh, He says, some "Some of you won't taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Then he takes John, Peter, and James up this high mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And there, Jesus' face is transformed into a brilliant, bright light. The the scriptures say that it was like as looking at the sun, his clothes became white as light. They got a taste of this day. They got a taste of what it looks like when Jesus is fully glorified. In Malachi chapter 4, it talks about the sun of righteousness. The sun, S-U-N, the sun that is in the sky, that type of sun. The sun of righteousness rises with healing in his wings. This is that day when Jesus is fully glorified. With that in mind, let's continue to read. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. This is Jesus. Daniel chapter seven talks about this in great detail if you're taking notes. He saw someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. A golden sash around his chest is a judicial role. It's, a judicial, it's part of a judicial outfit or, or apparel. And so Jesus here as we see him is coming to hold the churches accountable. This is in the future. Listen to this. He says his hair the hair on his head was white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his hand, in his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. This is the Lord's day. This is when he comes and he's fully glorified. Now we see Jesus like we've never seen him before in this moment. Now maybe this is symbolic. Maybe it's not. I've got my own thoughts on this. Maybe Jesus, this this image, is sharing with us that Jesus is the only one wise enough. Remember, Scripture says uh, gray hair is a crown of wisdom. Maybe this, his hair being white like wool, is signifying to us that Jesus is the only one wise enough to hold the church accountable. He's the only one uh, that is able to walk this planet perfectly and so maybe that's what the bronze represents, the bronze glowing in a furnace, because bronze is the medal of judgment in Scripture. Jesus is able to hold the church accountable because he's the only one that lived a perfect life. There's other things in here we won't get into this morning, but I just want you to see that this is that day when Jesus comes for his church, brings them to heaven, and he's holding you and me accountable. Now listen to this. This is so important for us to understand if we, if we want to understand the next few passages. Listen to this, in verse 17 he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand And of the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven stars are the angels of the churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This letter that Jesus wants to write, he's going to send to those churches that we read about. Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Sardis, all all seven of those churches. The seven angels are the pastors of those churches. It means messenger, one who preaches good news. That's what that means. Now, it's important for us to understand this. In, that, in fact, every single church that Jesus is about to address, he says, here's some things that you're doing well. Here's some things you need to work on. And if you work on these things, if you overcome these things, I will call you an overcomer. I will call you victorious. In fact, I will, gri- I will give you a great reward, he says, to every single one of these churches, except for one or two, he says, here's some things you need to change. Now, we're going to fast forward to the last church, because this is my favorite. I love this. I love this. This is in chapter 3, verse 14. If you're following along, taking notes, that's where we're at. Chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus says to the, church, to the angel of the church at Laodicea. In other words, to the pastor of the church at Laodicea. These are the words of the amen. The faithful and true witness. The ruler of God's creation. This is Jesus. He says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I've heard this preached before in multiple different ways. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the way that I've heard it preached before, just because I want you to see that it's actually not that. The way that I've heard it preached before is that Jesus says, I wish you were either on fire for me or far from me. Anything's better than riding the fence. Just ch- pick a side. Just choose a side of the fence. This is not what Jesus is saying. In my junior year at Oklahoma State University, go pokes. Uh, in my junior year of Oklahoma State University, I met a professor who attended my church. His name is Kyle Yates Jr. His dad was a, uh, a well-known archaeologist, and he was a well-known archaeologist as well. In fact, he was a Christian and he actually excavated at Laodicea, this church that we're reading about. He he excavated at that city, Laodicea. And he shared some things with me that, that I will never forget. He was there. He's actually researched this. He's been there. This is not what the Laodicean church would have heard from Jesus. Because Jesus says, I wish you were either cold or hot. Either one is acceptable to me. The only thing that's not acceptable to me is lukewarm. Lukewarm makes me want to throw up. I don't know about you, but I like lukewarm water. I really do because I've got sensitive teeth. But this isn't what Jesus is saying here. It would be let me let me explain it to you like this. It would be like having two beverages. One is cold and one is hot. Well, I mean, I picked this up like at five in the morning this morning. And uh, Sonia, our kids minister, actually drank out of this one, I think. So uh, anyway, but this, oh man, that's so good. It's warm. Um, <clears throat> Brian, would you join me up here? I asked Brian before if he would be a gentleman and come up and, and uh, I just opened this Coke, this Coca-Cola. Product placement there. They're not supporting us, by the way. Course, right. um, neither is Starbucks. <laughs> so, um, Brian, I, I really thought about you. I picked up this Coke actually last night at the gas station. Um, it tastes all right. It's it's not as cold as it was when I picked it up, but and this one is about half empty. And it's it's uh, I picked it up at five this morning. So, anyway, yeah, I, I was just going to offer you a drink. Would you like a drink? Are you sure? I am sure. But I got this for you. That's all right. I I got up early to go to Starbucks to get a drink for you, and I got up last night in the freezing cold in my sandals to get you this Coke. I don't want it. Uh, Okay. All right, you can be seated. I try to do something nice for him, and what do you get? I know that's so cheesy, but my point. My point is, is that a Coke is actually really refreshing when it's cold. Hot coffee, this is not my lipstick, hot coffee is really good. But when it's room temperature, it's kind of gross. Now, full transparency, I'll still drink this. (laughs) Not the Coke, but the coffee. Now listen, this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I wish you were cold or hot. And I got to tell you, when I took a drink of that Coke, it was nasty. Hot Coke is the worst, right? Hot anything carbonated beverage is the worst, right? This is what Jesus is saying. And he says, it makes me sick to my stomach. He says, it makes me want to throw up. But we do this all the time with Jesus. We'll come back to that. I want to take you to the other side of the world, to Turkey. See, the Laodicean church did not have any source of water. They were a very wealthy city, but they didn't have any water. They got their water from two sources. They got one of their uh, part of their water from Mount Cadmus near Colossae. This is Mount Cadmus. And if you've been up in the mountains ever, stuck your feet in a stream, it doesn't take you very long to figure out that it's freezing cold water. This mountain is about eight miles away from Laodicea. They used aqueducts to pipe the water from Mount Cadmus and Colossae to Laodicea. But by the time the water got to Laodicea, it became lukewarm. They got their other water from this place. These mineral hot springs in Heropolis. To this very day, you can go there. These are called the Cotton Castles in present-day Turkey. I don't know if you want to go there right now, but but you can actually sit in these hot springs, and it's these mineral waters are 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 deposited on this hillside. And to this very day, people go there because it's refreshing. Uh, The waters are good for healing. It's good for your skin. It's good for sores. If you have sores, it'll heal them quickly. Um, And it's the water is hot, and so it cleanses your skin. So this is about six miles away from Laodicea, and again, they used these to pipe the water from Heropolis and Colossae to Laodicea, but by the time the water traveled that six and eight miles to Laodicea, it became lukewarm. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is how the Laodicean church would have heard this. He says, I wish you were cold, because cold water is refreshing. In fact... Proverbs 25, 25 says, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Hot water is good for cleansing. It's good for healing. Jesus says, I wish you were refreshing like cold water is. I wish you were hot and cleansing and and good for healing like hot water is. But you're not. You're lukewarm. It makes me disgusted. You mean I gave up everything for you. And this is how you present yourself to me? I mean, this is an exact representation of what we do to Jesus when we say, God, I, 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 I'm, I, I offer my very best to you. Take this warm Coke. I know it's not as refreshing as it could be, but at least it's Coke. Take this lukewarm coffee with lipstick on it. I know it's not the best, but it's all I could scrounge up right now. And we do this so often With Jesus, this is what Cain got in trouble with. God wanted the very best from Cain, Adam and Eve's son. And what did he do? He brought him second best, third best. He didn't bring him the very best. He brought him lukewarm offerings. God desires to use you. He desires to use you in your time and how you serve him, how you live for him. He desires to use your talents, how he's gifted you. He desires to use your finances, your time, your talents, your treasure. Listen to this. God wants to use you. We have this uh, 5% life. We've been talking about that for over a year now, the 5% life of a Jesus follower. That is 1% of your day right off the top. 1% of your day, tithing if you want to see it that way, right off the top. Your first fruits in the very first moments of the day, spending that 1% of your day, 15 minutes with God. That's not hard. That's very easy. But so often we go, well, if I got nothing better, else better to do, then maybe I'll spend time with God. Or maybe if I got enough time after I get ready and get the kids ready, maybe then I'll spend time with God. But see, that's not what God desires. He wants the very first fruits of your life. He wants the very best of your life, right off the top. That's what a first fruit is. An offering of a first fruit is the very best, right off the top. Give it to the Lord. So we can do that in our God time by spending 15 minutes a day. That's a great starting point. I'm not saying once you've done that, you've arrived, but that's a great starting point to spend 15 minutes with him. That's 1% of your day, right off the top. Trust me in that, test me in that, and see how God works in your day. See how much greater of an outlook you have. Then you're able to face the day. 1% of your time in gather, that's what we're doing here. Commit to coming to church, right off the top. The first part of your week, right off the top. Sunday. The reason we have church on Sunday and not on Saturday, because Saturday is technically the Lord's day, it's the Sabbath. We don't have church on the Sabbath because that's the seventh day. We have church on Sunday because this is the first day of the week. It's right off the top. So give God the very first of your week. Give God the very first of your community. Now, we don't have those on Sunday mornings, but we have community groups that meet throughout the week. 1% of your time and gather. 1% of your time in group time. uh, Give 2% of your time in go time. That's serving outside the walls of these church. God wants to use you. But so often we go, well, God, if there's nothing else better to do on a Sunday, then maybe I'll go to church. If the Broncos aren't playing or if they're doing horrible, then maybe I'll go to church. I can't tell you how many times, and this is not a lie, that I've prayed that the Broncos would just be horrible. God has answered my prayer recently (laughs) over the past few years. Uh, Because I want so many people to want to love coming to church, to love experiencing God. I don't know if you were worshiping in in fullness before uh, I came out, but I was behind the curtain back here just worshiping. And I just felt so uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit or just I felt his presence. I don't know if you felt that this morning. That's why we gather. We gather to pray. We gather to worship. We gather to hear from his word. We gather to be challenged. We gather to to celebrate what Jesus has done and to walk outside of these walls and to make a difference with our lives. I don't want to be this anymore. I don't want to offer just my leftovers. I don't want to offer, well, God, if I got a little bit of money left over at the end of the month, then it's yours. No. We need to we need to be people that are giving right off the top with our time, our talents, our treasures. And then watch what God does. Knowing that this season is not a surprise to him, watch what he does. I promise you, I'm not telling you. Now, let's come back to Laodicea because Jesus isn't done with them. He's told them, I wish you were cold or hot. Both are, both are acceptable to me. Both are easy for me to drink and to be, you know, to be received, but, but lukewarm makes me want to throw up. Now, Laodicea When they heard these words, they understood what he was talking about. By the time the water got from this hot place and this cold place, it was lukewarm by the time it got to Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a very wealthy city. They were proud of their wealth. They didn't need anything as far as uh, material was concerned. In fact, they had indoor plumbing. How crazy is that? In fact, they got a picture of a water tower, what's left of the water tower right here. That little hunk of rock there is what's left over after the mineral deposits have overtaken it. But that is a water tower. I wonder what their team name was on the side of it. I was wondering about that last night. Maybe the Laodicean uh, lukewarmers. I don't know. Um, They were wealthy. They were proud. They actually had a medical school. They had a medical school there. They developed a a a me Let me say this right. I'm going to mess this up. Phrygian Phrygian powder, which would restore sight to some people, some blindness, some sorts of blindness. They were also known for their black wool. If you had black wool back in those days, you knew that it came from Laodicea. They were well known for their black wool, their medical school, their wealth. They're very proud of all these things. So when Jesus says this in verse 17, he says, you say I am rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover up your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Jesus says, listen, I know you have everything that you need. I know you're proud of the wealth. I know that you're proud of your medical school that can restore some sight to some blindness. I know that you're proud of your wool, but you don't realize those things are worthless to me. Those things will not get you anywhere with me. He says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire. Think about gold. What is gold symbolic of in Scripture? It's, it's the metal that we see. Uh, over and over again, pointing to deity. It's the metal of deity in Scripture. Like silver is the medal of redemption. Bronze is the medal of judgment. This is the medal of deity. In other words, Jesus is saying, I counsel you to buy from me gold, the things that are valuable to God, the things that are worthwhile, the things that are, that, that are going to be uh, surviving the flames someday. Gold, as it goes through trials, will be purified. so that you can become rich in the things of God. White clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see the things of God. I'm telling you, trust me in this. Devote yourself to the 5% life. That's 1% of your day in God time. 1% of your week in gather time. 1% of your month in group time. 2% of your year in go time you want more information about this? I would love to talk with you about this because I'm telling you, once we step in this realm with God, once we say, I'm all in, once we start saying, I'm tired of offering you second best, I wanna give you the very best of my fruit, the very best of my life, I promise you, God will start working in your life. You will have stories to tell your children. You'll have stories to tell others that you work with. You'll have stories to tell your grandchildren of how God worked miraculously Now, things aren't looking good for Rachel this morning as we prayed over her. But I'm believing and I'm praying that God will heal her. I don't believe it's God's will that she dies of COVID. I don't believe in praying in that way to give God an out. I want to see God do miracles in our church like that. When we gather together and pray and seek God and say, God, there's nothing I can do but pray for this person. God, there's nothing I can do to fix my marriage except hand it over to you. There's nothing I can do with my job except God, none of this is a surprise to you. God, take my job, take my kids, use them. God, use me, take my life. Listen to this, Jesus says this in verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke. That word rebuke could be the word, it could be translated as conviction. Those words are really important to me. Those whom I love, Jesus says, I convict, I reprove, I rebuke. Just like a good parent disciplines or corrects their children. This is what Jesus is saying. Those whom I love, I rebuke, I convict, and I discipline or teach or instruct So be earnest and repent. In other words, zealously repent. That's what those words mean. Zealously repent like there's nothing else that matters in this life but repenting right now. The Bible says that repenting is like this. God's here, I'm running this way. To repent means to turn 180 and run back to God. To say, God, I'm so sorry for the ways that I've treated you. I'm so sorry for offering you second best. God, you deserve everything. be zealous is to be sold out to be zealous is to put jesus above all things nothing else matters not my job not my stuff not my retirement not the economy not the election not whatever's going on in my life not my marriage jesus is the only thing that matters and when i seek him and i follow him that's when that's when we know That's when we know he will draw near to us. Zealously repent, turn to him, run to him right now. Jesus says, here I am right now. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, eat with that person and they with me. This is a very intimate meal. It's a very special meal. That wording there, that meal is not just a hot dogs and hamburgers. No, this is a very special meal. A meal that was planned out well in advance. A meal that is so intimate. And Jesus is saying, I'm here right now. I'm knocking at the door of your heart. I'm knocking right now at the door of your life. Let me in and you will be amazed at what I do. This This is my favorite part of this passage. Verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I'll give you the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. This word, victorious, is that Greek word that we've been looking at over the past few weeks. Victorious, overcomer. As some translators write this, overcomer, victorious. It's the Greek word, nike. It's where we get our word Nike from. What I love about this whole passage is that it was written to a group of people, the church in Laodicea. But it's up to the individual in that church. It's up to you and to me to let Jesus in our lives, to let him come in, to let him change the way I see things, to let him change the way that I live, to let him in and and change the way that I want to be used by him. To the one, to the person in that church who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. When I stand before Jesus someday, when he holds me accountable for what he's given me in this life, I don't want him to say, you were cold, you were hot, and I want him to say, you were I, I, I want him to say that. I don't want him to say you were lukewarm. Sorry, I got my mind mixed up. I don't want him to say, Keith, you were so lukewarm. I couldn't use you. I want him to say you were cold, like, like refreshing waters. You were hot, like a beverage that is hot, that is good to drink. You were healing. You were, you were good for cleansing. I want to see our church become that. So that when we together stand before Jesus someday, can you see it on that day? Jesus looks at your life and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things in this life. You've been faithful as a parent. You've been faithful as a spouse. You've been faithful as an employee in that company. You've been faithful as a follower of Jesus. You brought healing and cleansing in in every way possible. Well done. You were refreshing to be around. Well done. This is a fight that we face right now. Right now, we face a daily battle. We can either give in to the flesh, give in to, to, to our selfish desires, or we can follow hard, zealously run after him. Today, I don't know if you're here and if you've ever accepted Jesus as your personal savior. When I was nine years old, and I want you to think about this, those of us who are followers of Jesus, in that moment when you realize that Jesus did everything for you, in that moment when when it all made sense to you, that you and I were destined for an eternity separated from God, that is hell. But Jesus stood in the gap and he said, I want to offer you a new way, a way back to God. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, said, um, I just forgot it. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's by God's grace and your faith, believing in Him. Grace is something that we don't deserve, but God gives. It's by God's grace in our faith that we are saved, that we can be in right standing with God. Not by works, not by going to church, not by doing good deeds for the day. We're not saved by what we do, we're saved by the blood of Jesus alone. His death on the cross is what saves us. If we believe that, If we accept that free gift, the Bible says that we are his, that we will always be his, that we could never be separated from him ever again. Even if we walk away from him, he never breaks his end of the bargain. Not by works, but we were created to do good works. Verse 10 says that. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want you to think about that. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, remember that moment when you realized it all made sense to you that Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice for you and me covers all of my sins, past, all of my sins, future. He forgives me of both, all of those sins. The Bible says that nobody's perfect. The Bible says that without believing that Jesus died on the cross for us, by believing that in our heart and confessing with our mouth, there's no way to have a relationship with God. Here this morning, and you want that relationship with God Himself. I want to offer you a chance to pray and receive it this morning. It's a free gift. All that you got to do is pray a prayer similar to this. Actually, you don't even have to pray a prayer. You can just believe in your heart. But listen, I want to walk you through this. This is this helps us understand what's going on in our heart if we pray a prayer similar to this. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. This is just you and God this morning. Pray a prayer similar to this. Say, God, I know that I am a sinner. God, I know I've done things that have caused you grief. God, please forgive me. Forgive me of all the things I've done. Forgive me of the shame that I carry, the guilt that I carry. All of that, God, I pray that you would just remove from me right now And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And On the third day, God, you rose him from the dead. You raised him from the dead on the third day. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And if you just prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? Would you raise your hand? Just let me see those, those hands. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, those of us that are followers of Jesus, may we walk out of here changed this morning. May we walk out of here encouraged to to give right off the top of our lives. Father, I thank you that you love us. God, I thank you that you gave your only son for us. God, I, I pray for this group of people here this morning. God, that as we leave this place, God, we would be radically inspired to make a difference. That we wouldn't let the events going on in the world rattle us. That we wouldn't be blown here and there by every wind of change, the changing tides. God, I pray that we would be firmly planted in you. God, we love you. God, we can't thank you enough for giving your only son for us. Father, in this next moment, as we sing this last song, God, would your ears be honored? Would your heart be honored this morning? I pray that we would lose all the distractions around us, that, that you would be our focus right now as we sing this last song. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.